This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everybody. This is Z Prime On the Grid. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me today, we have Ian Birdie, Vice President of Innovation and Development at Quantum Spatial. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks for having me. So before we uh, get into disaster response, why don't you tell us a little bit about Quantum Spatial? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I should probably let listeners know that at the beginning of this year, actually, Quantum Spatial was purchased by NV5, who is one of the leading engineering services services firms in the country. Um, and we have actually just last week uh, rebranded as NV5 Geospatial, powered by Quantum Spatial. So we have a little bit of brand continuity there for our customers. Um, but Quantum Spatial or, or NV5 Geospatial, we are a full spectrum geospatial solutions firm. And when I say full spectrum, what I mean is we own sensors and platforms and we acquire remote sensing data uh, with a, using a variety of technologies such as LIDAR, imagery, hyperspectral imagery, thermal imagery, um, as well as topobathometric imagery, et cetera. Uh, we have in-house expertise as well as you know, various IP and tools that we use to process those data sets. And then we perform different types of analysis on those data to provide insights and answers to our customers. Um, we do bifurcate our business into two business units. We have a portion of our team that works with uh, government agencies, another portion that works with commercial entities. Um, for government agencies, we tend to provide authoritative data sets to agencies like USGS and NOAA and BLM. Um, and those agency scientists really look to Quantum Spatial to provide best in class, best in industry data as the foundation for their research and decision making. Um, and then on the commercial side, we work with various industries, forestry, and then we do a lot in the energy market, uh, both utilities and oil and gas. And, and those groups, they tend to have large numbers of widely distributed assets. Um, it can be high risk assets potentially, and they're heavily regulated industries and, and um, safety is a predominant concern of theirs. So for those groups, we our role is often to um, help them map, monitor uh, their assets, as well as model risk to those assets to help them uh, manage those appropriately and, and make sure that they're delivering uh, safe and reliable uh, power to their customers. So speaking of reliability, um... You know, we wanted to talk about uh, disaster response and, and infrastructure and uh, data today. So, uh, because that's what you're working on. So let's just start with the, the, the top-down view. What are the circumstances that are necessitating a change in disaster response? Yeah, and we, we really are seeing a change in, in kind of the focus of our customers. And, you know, at, at the... Underlying all this is, is just that global warming is progressing at an exponential rate. Um, and you know, byproducts of a warming planet are warming ocean temperatures, which drive hurricanes and, and uh, more drier uh, fuel loads on the landscape, which of, of course uh, increases the risk of fire. And we see that manifest. I think of the 10 warmest years on record, eight of those have occurred in the last 10 years. And similarly, uh, you know, with hurricanes of the 10 most active hurricane seasons, eight of those have been within the last 20 years. So, you know, I, I, anecdotally, I think we ran out of uh, letters to name storms with this past year. So big hurricane season and, and you know, likewise, and um, our customers in places like California, they're, they're starting to say that um, 
fire season isn't just a season anymore, but you know they manage fire all year round. Um, and so you know this kind of increased in the severity and the frequency of these events is really, I think, changing the perception of our customers that they're not just viewing these as discrete events that may or may not occur uh, at some point, but really just being a normal part of operations that they have to manage to. So uh, you said you're seeing your clients um, sort of shift the way they, they, they do disaster response. What do, you, what do you mean by that? What are you seeing? I, you know, I think it's just a, um, we're seeing, you know, everything from organizational structure where uh, customers are now putting committees or full-time positions in place to uh, actively look at their operations and make sure that they're both preparing uh, to respond to as well as uh, doing proper actions to reduce their risk or mitigate against the likelihood of response. So, you know, it's everything from, you know, where we're uh, assigning budgets and prioritizing resources to even organizing uh, or putting structural organization in place to to address some of these concerns. Are you seeing any interesting data trends or usages of data? Uh, you know, one of the changes that we're seeing is, as opposed to kind of a, a discrete mapping, like we flew our airplane and we collected data and this is what it looked like on Wednesday when we collected that data. Um, we have uh, a system, it's a autonomous robot, it lives in substations, and it collects data every single day. And so now we're monitoring a trend and looking at deviations or changes um, from the norm as an indicator that we may be approaching equipment failure. So, you know, that kind of plays into that non-asset risk, and it just speaks to, again, a kind of change of an investment or, or the need to not just go out and check this stuff every now and then, but to actually keep track of these things all the time. Uh, and that's, you know, something that kind of technology has enabled um, that we probably couldn't have done five years ago. So what are some of the best ways utilities can set themselves up for, set themselves up long-term for rapid and effective disaster response under these new rules? In a metaphorical yeah. sense, not a regulatory sense. Yeah, no, no, of course. It's a good question. I think that's kind of the, the heart of, of the challenge today is, you know, how do we go about this? What's the best way kind of given, given that the landscape is changing, the recognition that, you know, we, we want to do better for our customers and, and our organizations, how do we go about that? Well, you know, I, I think traditionally and, and where we're at uh, in a lot of instances today is still this very reactionary place. And, you know, conspatial, again, technology can can help us react appropriately. We have uh, dedicated UAV teams. Uh, we have aircraft distributed across the country that if an event occurs, we can be on site within hours. And we've done that, you know, over our history with a very, you know, ability to respond to natural disasters very quickly. And we can be on site. We can acquire imagery and various data to help us make decisions uh, in the throw of an event. We have, you know, we'll send uh, teams out with uh, uh, on-site uh, computing centers. And so we'll just process data right in the hotel or at the airport as soon as it comes off the plane and create these kind of mobile command centers. But all that is, um, it's a very reactionary uh, approach. And, you know, we're trying to make decisions on the fly. Where, where we're really trying to get is, is differentiate between that reaction and a response. To me, the difference is, you know, you don't know how you're going to react until you're in that situation. A response can be planned. It can be premeditated. 
And that's really the, the journey we're trying to get. And, and to get there, I, I think what we're, what we're seeing or, or what we're recommending is, is our forward-leaning customers that are doing this very well are really acquiring these underlying data sets that gives them a full picture of the risk that they might have on their system and where they may face the most exposure to uh, wind or fire. And once we have that strong descriptive base, we can then start to prioritize um, mitigative efforts and, and where we want to invest on our system. Uh, you know, as we kind of see uh, uh, the ability of data fusion or us to, to uh, uh, combine different types of data sets into a singular model, we really start to be able to predict if a fire were to occur or if we see wind um, you know, uh, 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 strong wind forces or a hurricane event, where would we predict uh, uh, infrastructure damage to occur across the system? So now we can prioritize where we're looking. We can start to predict the types of uh, uh, impacts we would see. And once we do that, we can really then intelligently prescribe mitigative efforts uh, to best remedy or reduce the total amount of risk across our system. And Again, once we have a strong understanding of what our system looks like, everything from the types of assets we have to which of those assets are most likely to be impacted by an event, then we can really have a well-planned uh, and intelligent response when an event occurs. And so that's kind of the journey that we're uh, working with our customers to try to put in place. And it, it, it is a long-term journey, but at the end of the day, of course, our, our hope is that um, we're, we're uh, responding to these events in a much more cohesive and intelligent way than um, kind of trying to react uh, uh, in under the gun, so to say. So just taking that to the next step, how does that, how does that translate into agility, into, into streamlining the response process while not sacrificing reliability? Yeah, I, I think, you know, some of it is we want to build um, dynamic variables into our models so that um, things that as uh, circumstances change, uh, whether those be financial or, uh, you know, some of the, the, the climate or acute drivers that uh, may be part of this, we, we want to build those uh, uh, dynamic parameters into uh, our model so that uh, we have that uh, ability to be agile under various circumstances. Um, to set up a process like this overall, how do we get these data? How do we create this uh, kind of digital twin that allows us to understand our, uh, uh, our system to, to, again, journey from uh, being able to prioritize and predict and, and make appropriate prescriptions? You know, we, we need to be um, agile in terms of how we think about funding these things. Um, you know, we're seeing, again, the industry start to be willing to invest uh, capital dollars into hardening their system, and those dollars can be leveraged to help build these models as a good, as a, a again, a foundation to uh, helping us build these mitigative and response plans on top of. What, what kinds of data are you using, and how are you optimizing your systems and models to be predictive with climate parameters, as we discussed earlier, still in a state of change? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'll give a, an example or use case that uh, we're seeing get a, a fair bit of adoption here. Um, the, a lot of our customers think of risk uh, as coming either from assets or non-assets. So we may have asset failure, 
that can uh, be a, a, a source of a, a ignition or we can have non-asset risk. And typically we're talking about external factors like wind or vegetation is the big one that our customers are concerned about. So, you know, when we talk about being able to be predictive with these types of risk, um, we build predictive models around vegetation. So a, a company may have tens of millions of trees that are in proximity of their electrical grid. Uh, but of those tens of millions of trees, let's say a million of them, if they were to fall, could actually impact a line. And we then start to build a data stack with all the different data sets that are available to Quam Spatial. We might be looking at soil data. We might use LIDAR data, understand uh, how many directions could this tree fall and it would still strike the line. Uh, we might use hyperspectral data to uh, map the species of that tree, understanding that some species are more prone to failure than others. And then we'd layer in some of these uh, uh, weather parameters, wind events. So if the, we know that the, you know, we look at historical wind direction and understand that typically the wind comes from a certain direction, which of these trees are going to be exposed or have higher exposure uh, uh, response to those various wind events. And all of that we can layer together to create a data stack. Look at that statistically compared to places where we've seen trees fail in the past and, under, and have a uh, predictive model to understand under these various circumstances, uh, given these various parameters, which of these, not 10 millions of trees, not 1 million trees, but the subset of hundreds or thousands of trees are most likely to fail when we have a high wind event coming. We then see our customers take that information and put it into their decision-making tree uh, for making de-energizing decisions, uh, programs that we are seeing called PSPS or public safety power shutoff programs uh, uh, that many utilities are starting to uh, invoke these days. Use the terms data and, inform and information uh, not necessarily interchangeably. You've, you've told me before that there is a difference between providing data and providing information. Can you expand on that and uh, how that plays into your business? Yeah, I think, you know, again, I'll maybe look at the way, I think this is such a fundamental or, or, or critical differentiation that it, it's driven a lot of how Palm Spatial has organized ourselves. Again, on, on the, in our uh, government business unit, we're working with these federal agencies, NOAA, USGS, et cetera, and they have, they have scientists who are um, have their own scientific methodologies, research uh, uh, programs, et cetera. And they're really looking for these foundational data sets to feed their research and analytics. When we traverse to the commercial side, we have working, we are working with people that are the best in the world at what they do. And what they do is deliver safe and reliable uh, energy to you and I, so we can you know power our, our podcast here. But they don't necessarily have decades of experience in geospatial data. Um, the you know don't necessarily have the compute infrastructure to crunch through petabytes of lidar data, etc. And so our role when working with those groups is really to take those data sets and boil down these petabytes of data that we collect into a location and translate that into an, uh, a, a piece of actionable information for our customers who work with assets, poles, wires, towers, 
trees. So we're taking petabytes of LIDAR data, petabytes of hyperspectral data, points and pixels, and turning those into a utility pole with an ID number that someone can go out and take a action on. And that transformation is really what we're, we're talking about is, is uh, taking, being able to translate uh, the, uh, from our industry into another. And that's that transformation from data to information. You know, if, if, I, if I'm a utility that doesn't, that, that's, you know, not necessarily far, you know, far enough along in my digital transformation that I can just, you know, get to work on a, get to work on a digital twin, how can I still um, utilize, you know, my, my, my geospatial data, my GIS or, or whatever to, uh, to help improve uh, resiliency and efficiency of response? Yeah, I, I do think kind of, again, the, in a in a disaster scenario, we're trying to you know in most cases bring our system back online as as quickly as possible if if uh, we're responding post event, and if we're talking about trying to mitigate prior to an event, we're really talking about taking system taking system hardening uh, uh, actions um, that ensure that our grid doesn't go down in the in the first place, or we minimize the amount of outage that we see across our system. So. You know, to start, it really is that foundational data set. You have to know what's out there uh, in order to be able to uh, fix that as quickly as possible. So um, updating that GIS, uh, making it as accurate as possible. Uh, sometimes, again, it, it may be that, you know, we're out there visiting our assets as part of our routine operations. We may, may just not be collecting data in a way that provides us the fidelity that we need to then uh, at the turn of a hat, um, uh, understand exactly what sorts of equipment we need to order to get back into the field, uh, what the best routing uh, might be, how, where, where do we position uh, equipment uh, so that it's most adjacent to these locations that are going to need it uh, when a, when a storm comes by. So there's some of those elements that that can be done, um, you know. But I, I think. Even with that data set, understanding that there is a cost to a utility to build, not just build, but maintain this type of information across their system. You know, we really work with groups to try to bifurcate the elements that are dynamic versus those which are more stagnant. And what I mean by that is a company may invest heavily in mapping their system, and we're talking about all the assets and non-assets that they have to manage. Well, some of those elements are more dynamic than others. Vegetation is growing and changing every year. Uh, weather is obviously extremely dynamic and, and changing constantly. But the pole and the infrastructure on that pole are much less dynamic. There is change, but it's not at the same rate as uh, the tree that's growing right next to it. And so we work with our customers to establish programs where we may have a more significant upfront investment to create that comprehensive map or digital twin of their system. But then in subsequent years, we transition to more of a monitoring solution or a trend analysis where we're just looking at those aspects that are dynamic and changing. We don't have to spend money re-inventorying uh, the assets on that pole because they really haven't changed from the year before. We can focus our efforts just on those dynamic elements that are uh, uh, changing the risk profile across our system. And ideally, if we're, you know, uh, creating the right prescriptions, we're actually seeing that risk prof profile decline. And that is something that we're able to see with many of our customers.
just a clarifying question is is part of is part of this process also building up a skill set for utilities IT to be able to manage these systems and get the information to the decision makers as efficiently as possible or is that something you do yourself well, it's a it's a really good question and honestly we kind of see the gamut uh, we see some customers that are uh, have a desire to be more hands-on and maintain more of that uh, maybe IT backbone or expertise in-house. And you know, Quant Facial is happy to, to partner with those types of groups. We, we typically see great thought leadership and, and kind of innovation in those partnerships. So we really embrace those and uh, you know, we will embed, we have change management experts that we may uh, uh, embed within a utility to help understand uh, you know, how do we change standard operating procedures if we are basing our inspection off LIDAR data as opposed to boots on the ground? How do we think about quantifying our ROI uh, based on using these technologies given the investment we put up front, but we see reduced costs in the long run. So how do we model those out? And Qualm Spatial is happy to work with groups who want to kind of um, uh, carry a part of the load in those circumstances. In other cases, we have customers that are, are really looking for uh, uh, an all-encompassing solution, and, and so you know, in that case, uh, Qualm Spatial can provide cloud-based infrastructure and our software solutions that allow them to very easily, with uh, and intuitively, access the their data and the results of the analysis, and really go uh, right to something like issuing work orders or, or getting uh, 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 people out in the field to take advantage uh, or to to take action on. Um, the, the results of the analytics. So it, it's really a wide spectrum and, and you know, we see uh, uh, Quantum is happy to participate uh, or meet our customers uh, wherever they want to uh, uh, participate in that journey. So speaking of uh, utility workers, um, I'm curious if there's any incorporation of uh, the mobile workforce, uh, you know, as part of our research, a lot of research we've been doing, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people about, you know, what they're equipping their workforce with. A lot of them have um, mobile devices, uh, tablets, that that sort of thing, that are able to help um, get them access to the GIS or the CIS as quickly as possible. So I'm I'm curious if these solutions um, incorporate this like mobile distributed um, workforce to help improve uh, to help improve efficiency and response. Yeah, I think Dylan, it's it's, it's going to be fascinating to see um, if we. I, I think we were progressing along that trajectory where we were seeing uh, a, a more welcoming embrace of some of these remote technologies uh, and transitioning from that idea that if I'm not looking at this thing firsthand, it doesn't count. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see if we experience any kind of stair step you know we've all been working from home we figured out ways to do more things remotely um, and we've you know we've become more comfortable with that paradigm well remote sensing it, it plays perfectly to that and in in some ways us you know being intimate and having expertise with our data of course having confidence and and trust in our own data in a way that um, you know, maybe took some time for parts of the industry or, or, or people that just don't have the, um, aren't staring at this stuff every single day or, or understanding the level of diligence we go through to, to uh, create these data sets. It's maybe taken some time to have the same level of trust as if I'm standing out in the field looking at this thing directly. And, and so I'm, I'm really interested to see if, if this kind of uh, willingness 
for us as a you know human workforce to embrace remote working changes that paradigm at all and, and, and sees any more desire to leverage these types of technologies to do things that traditionally we may have done with a boots on the ground approach. That's interesting. I was actually kind of more referring to, uh, yeah, I actually was kind of referring more to like poll workers and trucks with, with, with tablets, but what you actually brought up there is, is actually really important in terms of the hands off, the hands off approach uh, in terms of how we've sort of changed uh, the way the ways we do business uh, in 2020, so that that was a that was an interesting insight. Thank you. Again, once we kind of get hooked uh, to having these types of information and insights, um, uh, we want them with us all the time, and that's just you know, uh, listen. We've at this point are, are well accustomed to our cell phone in our pocket. And if we want to Google something or look at the weather forecast or check our email, we don't have to wait to get back to the office. We, you know, we don't have to wait for the five o'clock news to come on. We want these answers immediately and we want them in our hand and doing our work uh, in the day to day, managing these assets and preparing ourselves for a disaster response is no different. Uh, we want access to the, uh, the high precision and high accuracy measurements that our LiDAR data sets provide. Uh, we want to understand the thermal properties of a specific conductor or, or uh, 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 insulator. We want that at our fingertips. And so that ability for uh, uh, Qualm Spatial to be able to package these data and insights into lightweight viewers uh, and mobile solutions that allow people to have them at their fingertips is uh, absolutely a, a key part of our success, a critical part of uh, adoption. And it's the only way to maximize the value of these data. And, and at the end of the day, that's absolutely what we want of our customers is them getting the maximum value out of uh, this investment that they're making. Uh, just a quick sidebar. As an, as an editor, I just, I always get a little tingly when someone says these data grammatically correct. Oh yeah. I had a, um, I had a, a, one of my grad school professors, I wrote, I did it singular and it was like my first paper. And she was just like, I will fail you if I ever see this again. <laughs> so, <laughs> data are plural. But even in my company, nobody seems to know that. <laughs> Harsh but fair. I'm, I'm sure on this podcast, I have, I have used data in the singular yeah, I'm sure I do too. <laughs> it's so it's so easy because no one ever says datum. Right, right. <laughs> Data point is a good is a good yeah. is a good way to cheat that. Uh, but anyway, thank you for being on uh, today to talk about disaster response and data. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, Dylan, for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, you can find our research at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at jedooley, and at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.